2: Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head to head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner, Rowdy Roddy Piper dons some sunglasses for 50 Shades of Obey as he finds out that talking to rich people is like talking to someone from another planet, quite literally. Released in the UK in 1989, it's John Carpenter's. They live.
0: What do these things want, and why are they here?
2: They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. They are safe as long as they are not discovered.
0: I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me! Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance.
2: While in the blue corner, Bill is suspicious of his wealthy Beverly Hills family. He thinks there's something weird going on. Bill is not wrong, as he finds out the well-to-do do-it, well, as a gelatinous mass of writhing flesh. Also from 1989, we're joining the society. I feel like something's going to happen. And if I scratch the surface, there'll be something terrible underneath. One. you've been living with these people all your life and you do not know anything about this if you don't follow the rules billy bad things happen didn't you know the billy boy the rich of only sucked off low-class scum like you so what connects these two films and which one does it better let's find out it's clash of the titles
0: release the kraken
2: Hello, Clash Potters. Life's a bitch and she's back in heat. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And as you just heard, we are doing They Live versus The Society, or just society, rather. Abhorrently Affluent Altercation is the title I'm going for this week. Yeah, happy with that? Abhorrently Affluent Altercation. All right, so these were my choices which means at this point i'd normally say you're welcome but we've all just watched the end of society so it doesn't feel appropriate yeah you're gonna apologize to the listeners yeah i guess i'm sorry if it was your first watch yeah i mean come on you're we, gonna remember it and we won't do it again we promise <laughs> uh society is on thursday though it's on thursday uh, the clue i gave to get us to this point, on Monday's episode last week, rich people are a different breed. Chris, you followed it up on Twitter with... I was blind, but now I see. Mm. Clever as well. A lyric from Primal Scream's Moving On Up. From the Bible, okay. before that. Right. <laughs> it's the reference I was going for, but, but I like Primal Scream as well. Well, Primal Scream of my Bible. Uh, and interestingly, Moving On Up uh, was a song inspired by They Live. So what? No, it wasn't. No, I know. I knew <laughs> that. He
1: right. just can't give up the point.
2: Yeah. That's all. <laughs> uh, guesses that came in on Twitter. If you don't follow us on Twitter, we are at ClashPod. It's a fun place to come and hang out. So come and join us. Uh, we are also now on Instagram, also at ClashPod, where you can catch up uh, with little bits of the show and other stuff. Chris. Yep. Instagram stories. Yep. I think that's what they're called Chris posted his first Instagram story on his own account this week Yep And he just found out that uh, you can see who's watched your stories It's creepy Right Don't like it You don't like it? No Okay Uh, It's why it's so popular though It's more popular than the actual story Seeing who's watched the story Uh, So, some of the guesses. Uh, Possible future Clash Pods on Twitter this week. Uh, Great guesses. Saz went for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels versus Trading Places. We've talked about that. Mm. Great pair for the future. Definitely. Joel Trodden and Liam Neeson. Hello. Go with Limitless versus Lucy. I like that pairing. (laughs) Very doable. Yeah. That's a great pairing. Uh, Ryan D went with Get Out versus Parasite. Bram Bram Bigelow went with Get Out versus The Stepford Wives. I'm going to tell you right now, I've told Chris already. Uh, Victoria, I think I told you as well. I watched a film for the first time that was on my bucket list this weekend, Ready or Not. Mm. And that is what I want to pair with Get Out in the future. Yeah, just, I wouldn't show your hand on the show. Right. But, but we'll have that chat about that afterwards. Okay, so no spoilers then. <laughs> right. Understood. Uh, anyway, uh, we have... A first-time winner this week. Never before won Welsh and Elsewhere, a.k.a. Gavin, who got Society and They Live. Gavin, you are a member now of the Clash Pod Society. We have our shunting on Friday evenings. (laughs) Bring a towel. (laughs) (coughs) Save it for Thursday. Right then, uh, enough about Society. Let's talk about the connections between these films, though. Uh, So,
1: what have you got? Oh, mine are rubbish. Just uh, the people of Los Angeles are not who they say they are. That's it. That's it? Yeah. Oh, well, I've got pointless fights. (laughs) So John and Frank in They Live, they have a pointless fight. And Billy pointlessly fights Ted Ferguson in society when he really should have left.
3: It's fine for his
2: life though, isn't it? He? he could fucking leave. Okay. He does leave.
1: After he's had a massive fight. <laughs> After he's had a
2: massive shunt. <laughs> Alright. So that's it from you this week. I
1: know I'm really sorry. It's I just right. I, I just struggled.
2: No, okay. Uh really, because I'm gonna come I'm gonna come at you right now. Go on with one that I'm surprised you missed. Magnificent mullets. Yeah, true. Yep. Yes. Very
3: good mullets. Um mine is mine more behind the scenes stuff about how and why these films got made that connect them. Of course they are. Um, especially, you know, reading around them both, both directors made them because, uh, as a reaction to Reaganomics, Reaganomics even. Um, they're both made, but this they both talk about this on their on their respective commentaries. They're both films made by hippies who spent the nineteen sixties stoned mm. and the nineteen eighties angry.
1: Yeah, and I, I can you can see that because that's possibly why uh, some of the messaging feels a bit naive to me because I was born in the eighties, so I'm not that surprised. That people want to sell me things. Mm. <laughs> that's the
2: world we grew up in. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: No, but
2: seriously, if you watch Saturday morning ITV as a kid or children's ITV, that's all. I, like I remember all the. I remember all the jingles to toy adverts mm. from yeah. my youth. Yeah, imprinted on my mind.
3: Yes, I, no, I Agree, um, uh, but and, and both directors believe they were actually they are actually telling true stories, just with the odd embellishment.
2: Huh? I'd go with that. I mean, sort of. I guess. Mm. I mean. I'm not mentioning society, but damn, a good shunting is what I love. Uh, The Police in Your Pocket. Both movies, the police are on the sides of the Mm -hmm. aliens slash rich. Weird Sex. Uh, One is obviously the shunting in society, and the other is uh, having sex with an alien at the end of They Live. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, Any more? No, I'm done. Okay, well, the one I'm actually going with, and uh, I'm taking a leaf out of your book, Victoria, this week and trying to bring something a bit highbrow to the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be quoting one of England's greatest ever poets, Shelley. Yeah. Uh, for this, uh, who uh, the phrase the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is attributed to. Uh, what he actually said in 1821 was to him that hath more shall be given and from him that hath not the little that he hath shall be taken away and sometimes he shalleth be eateneth in a sex orgy <laughs> He was into that, though. <laughs> he was. He bloody loved it. He loved the shunting, did Shelley. Uh, right
1: there. You can say it
2: because he's been dead for ages. It's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, so, Victoria, uh, you lucky thing I gave you, Society. Uh, Chris got They Live. We do it chronologically. They Live came out just three months before Society in the UK, 1989. So, Chris, take us on a journey. I'm going to let Vicky do this one. Thank you, Chris. Vicky, take us on a journey. Are you doing They Live? Yeah. Oh, shit.
1: It's okay. Everyone ready? Yes. We're all right. I don't want to do that again. Is <laughs> <No. laughs> everyone fine? It's all good, it's Real. Okay. It's real. It's authentic. All right. Here we go. An elite cabal of the wealthy and well-connected, covertly ruling the world, who can only be brought down by a single man and deliver a great awakening. No, it's not a QAnon recruitment ad. No, really, it isn't. But John Carpenter's, they live.
0: All right. Suppose we settle down. That's far enough. Where'd you get those glasses? Tooth fairy.
1: The story of a drifter who discovers, through magic sunglasses, that there are aliens living among us, mind controlling the populace via television signals into the obedient and ceaseless consumerism that gives our lives meaning.
0: Excuse we don't want me. To just survive.
2: You know. You look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957. Oh. You see, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person, doesn't she? Huh? Put them back on. Formaldehyde face. That's what That's we
0: got. That's enough out of you. I've got one that can see.
2: Uh, he's a tall Caucasian male. Doesn't appear armed. Wearing sunglasses. I don't like this one.
1: He'll stop at nothing to save the day and destroy the signal, by which I mean he'll stop for seven and a half minutes to fight the only person who's been nice to him (laughs) at the end.
2: (laughs) I swear it's six minutes, that fight. Yeah, it's five and a half to six. Yeah.
1: Okay. Why do you think it's seven? Uh, Because I read an interview with John Carpenter where he said it's seven and a half minutes (laughs) and he made it, so he knows.
3: I I, I
2: timed it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean...
3: (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's it a does. long fight. It's, it's a long fight. It doesn't fight. matter. It's six
2: minutes. It doesn't matter. It's a this long is when I say you six can't six talk minutes.
3: to you two.
1: this is what I'm talking about.
3: I'm on your side. <laughs> You're not. I'm not completely, because it's wrong. <laughs>
1: uh, um, anyway, yeah. I'm going to assume that you two have seen this film before, because when you came up with this pairing, Alex, mm. you, Chris, were very excited. I was
3: very excited. About mm. They live. Very excited mm. about both films, actually,
1: yeah. And... You don't tend to pick things you haven't seen. <laughs> no, I don't say like that. Sometimes I do, just for... The shits and giggles. Shits and
2: giggles. Yeah, no, it's true. I like to, I, I, I re-watch movies more than I watch new
3: movies.
1: That's it, yeah. That's the thing about I'm, I'm really imagining got.
2: these were video
3: watches for me and Alex in our teenage years, both films, because we're too young to watch them in the cinema. Mm.
1: Yeah.
2: So I owned, and indeed do still own, uh, the VHS oh, of wow. They Live, uh, which actually is now worth more than it was when I bought it. It's worth 30 quid on eBay. <laughs> did <laughs> you break it out and watch it this week the VHS yes no I don't on what well you <laughs> have to go through yeah. a skip and get a video I've got, I've got my video player still with some videos and mine's in storage ah, yeah. I like watching the trailers that's because of your massive flat you can just step forward to put a room full of VHS cassettes I don't have the <laughs> space <laughs> that's bullshit. He, lives in, he lives in the society mansion
1: but the thing is his video cover is why I thought I'd seen this but I haven't because I remember the video from um, the flat that we lived in yep. right. Yep. so it's obviously quite a memorable cover and yeah. I just thought it had been on and I'd seen it I was going to say
3: last week you weren't sure if I you'd know, seen, it, seen, seen it and it might have been so yeah we were thinking maybe some late night in the flat yeah. you watched it on Alex's video but no. No,
1: I think I would have remembered. Yeah. Um. So I, the first time I
2: watched Oh, that's exciting. Uh, I remember watching it as a kid and not being blown away by it, but it imprinting on my memory in a big way. I honestly think this film, on a subconscious level, is responsible for my distrust of government. <laughs> Interesting.
1: More and... on Q and on late. <laughs> so <I, I>, yeah.
2: <laughs> but I think you're right. You know, it's,
3: it's during that great John Carpenter run of films, and I think maybe to like a... F- 14 year old boy Big Trouble Little China was a lot more memorable than mm. They Live yeah. and maybe even The Thing but there
2: are certain things that jump out at you and have stayed with me I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to them Yeah just uh, just on the QAnon front I have spent an inordinate amount of time watching Infowars this weekend Have you? So, well there was an interview with Roddy Piper a 40 minute interview with Alex Jones and Roddy Piper about oh, They Live Oh no
1: you're
3: joking
2: Because They Live is Alex Jones's unsurprisingly favourite film mm. ever uh, and so they talk about it for a long time I've got some quotes it's
1: Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. It make me mad as hell, yeah. but anyway. But
2: I do think it's a really important movie because I do think it teaches you to question everything and this idea of whether the choices we make are really our own and whether we're influenced. And obviously Carpenter was mainly talking about TV yeah. and advertising at the time. But now, I mean, have it's ever a film been more prescient today than it was when it was made? Because we literally, literally are being influenced more so by the internet Than ever. I mean, we are giving away our data, which companies are then using back
1: at us Mm -hmm.
2: to make us consume. Yeah. So it's it's such an important movie.
1: Yeah, I can get with that. Um, Shall I talk you through some of the background? Yes, please. Chris may correct me about five minutes versus six minutes or... Let's see. All right, so here we go. Let it go. See, that's, yeah, I can't. can't. That's why we're not not good friends. I don't mean we're not good friends. We're not good as friends. Do you know what I mean? We're bad for each other. I don't think anything you mean is going to help the next hour. All right, here we go. So they live with the second project in John Carpenter's... That's wrong.
2: Oh, no! No, I'm joking. I'm joking. joking. (laughs)
1: <laughs> <So> you've made her <laughs> all tense now Look I'm a bit nervous now. Right. yeah. Well done uh, Four picture deal <laughs> With a live films And Universal Which began with Prince of Darkness Which I have not seen um, But you must have seen Chris Yes Is it good? It's good, it's frightening Okay Yeah Um, Now it originated from the story NADA which was in Eclipse Comics Alien Encounters by Ray Nelson and artist Bill Ray John Carpenter read that responded to it as at the time he was very angry (laughs) about the state of Reagan's America Um, Did, Did
3: anyone read it was actually the comic was based on a short story that Ray Nelson wrote I'm
1: getting to that Have you read it? No but I read the comic Oh, you read the comic? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I read the story. There's massive tits in it, which, <laughs> which really <laughs> put me up. So Nada, or I can't remember what he's got. He goes to the door, and his girlfriend answers the door, and she's just like two tits, and a wigs and she's like, "Oh, come in." i
2: was like, what? "What?" Have you ever read a comic book <laughs> before? This is yeah. not a unique circumstance. I was like, is that
1: normal? <laughs> is this a pornographic comic? <laughs> she's
2: just just a comic for kids. Just a comic
1: for kids. <laughs> (laughs) Um, So he seeks out the source material, which is a short story by Ray Nelson called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. And in Eight O'Clock in the Morning, a man wakes up from a hypnotist trance, realises that aliens are controlling our lives, and he's got until Eight O'Clock in the Morning to solve this problem. So are you going to say you have read the short story? Yeah,
3: I have read the short story. Okay, Um, It's really similar, except um, the aliens are... It's very short. It's only six pages long. Right, The aliens are lizard cannibals Mm. um, in the short story... Uh, who George takes out one by one. But then he does break into the TV studio where the signal they're emitting comes from and orders, sort of gets on the telly and orders the world to see these aliens and kill them. Mm. And then he dies. Okay. So there are, there are a lot of similarities, um, especially, you know, the key scene here where he sees all the, the signs around. All those signs are taken from this book.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Because mm. in, in the comic, mm. he dies as well at the end. Um, it doesn't work. Weirdly, there's a,
2: if, if you watch They Live... Uh, over the weekend, and you are a Stephen King fan and you felt he was familiar, Stephen King wrote a short story called The Ten O'Clock People, which is about how uh, people withdrawing from smoking, uh, the chemical imbalance of nicotine in their body, causes them to see rich people who are these bat creatures, and it's pretty much exactly like they live. Uh, and Stephen King um, talks about, he said, this story uh, had one of the shortest gestation periods of any of his pieces. And my question to Stephen <laughs> King is, was it the 95 minutes it took you to watch They Live? <laughs> because he, there's no reference to him going, ah, it's basically They Live, but it is They Live. <laughs> no say
1: Stephen. That is fair. So John Carpenter, he gets the film rights to the comic and the short story, and he writes the screenplay under the pseudonym Frank Armitage which is an allusion to H.P. Lovecraft, um, Henry Armitage being a character in the Dunwich Horror. He expands the story to involve his feelings on politics, the social and cultural context of his time. Now, in an interview, this is where I got a lot of my research from, Starlog magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went there for you. Mm. Um, He says, quote, I'm disgusted by what we've become in America. I truly believe there is brain death in this country. Um, and about television in particular, he said, I quickly realised that everything we see is designed to sell us something. My awareness became so acute after a while that I couldn't even watch MTV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think it's a weird example <laughs> to put a light on?
2: This is what Alex Jones was talking about on InfoWars. He was saying, why is it that some of us are awake and we know that the signal is out there and yet everyone else is sleepwalking through this life?
1: Let's just take a moment to call Alex Jones a cunt <laughs> and move on. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> right.
2: However, having watched a lot of InfoWars, I, I will say... Oh my God,
3: please <laughs> don't oh, be doing this, Dawn. <laughs> here we go. Do you remember
1: we had that drunken round and I was like, you need to I, be careful. You
2: think I'm vulnerable to...
3: to
1: these messages, I like, do. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You, will,
2: you will join a cult <laughs> of that, I'm sure. No, but look, put it like this. I do think there is a tendency for people to sleepwalk through life and have the government distract us. I mean, if you think about it like this, like... The government basically is creating, even now, a a huge disparity between the rich and the poor and making a large segment of the population so desperate and so uh, having to concentrate on hand-to-mouth, basically, Mm -hmm. that they don't ever have the time to question the bigger picture about how we ended up here and what is happening. I don't
1: disagree with that. I mean, I've got, I thought this might be interesting and fun um, to talk about, um, you know, like your human brain can't compute like a very big number. Mm. So we all know that like the 99% and the 1%. So the most current fact I could a statistic is the top 1% of households. And this was done by a, a Swiss investment firm. So it's in euros. So a top household is considered one with wealth of 1.2 million euros or more. They own 44% of the world's total wealth. Mm. Right. But... They Try and think about billionaires, because there's a lot of talk about, you know, obviously no one needs a billion of anything, really. So Jeff Bezos is worth now, and because of COVID, probably more, 188 billion. But human brains struggle to conceptualise a billion because it sounds like a million. We can sort of deal with a million. So look at the difference between a billion and a million. So these are just some fun things that go around the internet. Um, if a million seconds is 12 days, a billion seconds is 32 years. <laughs> Can you believe that, right? Wow. And if you saved $100 a day for the rest of your life, it would take you 27,000 years to save a billion dollars. Right, and my last one is if you counted to a billion, allowing three seconds per number with no breaks, because obviously the bigger, the further up you go, the longer it takes to say the numbers. It would take you ninety-five years to count to a billion <laughs> with no breaks. How mental is that? That's a lot. It's a lot, and Jeff yeah. Bezos has got one hundred and eight, one hundred and eighty-eight billion of those dollars. So I'd, I'd say that's too much. I think it's too much on the, on the, on the, um, the Amazon and
2: the Jeff Bezos front. Because I did end up uh, like just because. because Because this was an article that I I found today, um as I was researching this. So eleven thousand dollars a second is spent on Amazon. Jeff Bezos, as you said, richest man in the world, $178 billion. And yet as a company, and this is what we're talking about, this is what John Carpenter is talking about in this, like Amazon paid 2.1% tax on mm. 13.7 billion pounds worth of sales in the UK last year because of their offshore mm. structure yeah. of how they do their accounts. And then you sort of go, well this is how 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 is that allowed? How is it that now we've got this deficit because of coronavirus, that Rishi Sunak is going to end up taxing <laughs> us, the mm-hmm. people to make up that money and letting them continue to pay 2.1% yep. tax and on that amount of money. The, there's there's, you there's the your messaging
1: money. To people that are benefit scroungers, quote, mark, so have you paid your taxes? Have you done your self-assessment tax return? And if you haven't, you fucking worm. <laughs> then you <get> <laughs> and it's like, you're coming after me for 200 quid. Like hard. Yep. It's just, it's not right. So, bring it back to the like present day ish. In twenty fifteen, John Carpenter said about They Live. It's a documentary, it's not science fiction. The same problem still exists. He qualifies it by saying, I'm a very happy capitalist. I love my country. I love the system that we're in, but not without some restraints, which is a very Fair point, and a very grown-up thing to say, which to me is good because it sort of tempers the sort of naivety that I think is in They live a little. Which is not his fault; it's just he was born in a very different time. Yeah, I also saw him.
3: You reminded me; I saw him talking about the fact he said, "I'm I'm very pro democracy, apart from on my film sets <laughs> and at home with my children when I'm a dictator."
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, let's let's quickly just dip into this. So the film, as Alex has mentioned, has been co-opted by a select group of right-wing extremists also known as wankers Mm. as an allegory for Jewish media control and so this prompted John Carpenter to tweet they live is about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism it has nothing to do with Jewish control of the world which is a slander and a Mm. lie but this trope that shadowy figures control the world and that sometimes they are Jewish people has been around for a very very long time and the case of They Live isn't helped by the connection with H.P. Lovecraft, a known racist and anti-Semite who was, quote, physically repulsed by Jews. So it's, that doesn't help, but I do take John Carpenter's word for it. But
2: it's been co-opted by various groups, agreed that yeah. uh, there is a select group of right-wing people and as John Carpenter tweeted, yes, that's true. But so many different people, like where it was just anti-capitalist at the time yeah. and the liberals who sort of went, look at this film. Now, you know, you can apply it to so many different things. And uh, One of the most famous images from the 2016 um,
3: election on the left was using They Live imagery where uh, Donald Trump was one of the aliens. Yeah. And that poster was everywhere, Mm. plastered all over uh, LA. I
2: I think you have to be very careful because... I think the, the, the most valuable tool that seems to uh, have been used by governments is to make the idea of conspiracy theories something fringe and something stupid and something crazy. Whereas in reality, all the conspiracy theory is is actually analysing a situation, looking at the evidence and coming to a conclusion that sometimes isn't what the status quo is. And I, I think being able to just write people off who question the status quo as not jobs, oh, you're one of those conspiracy theorists, it, it helps maintain what we have now rather than actually letting people go well that doesn't seem right
1: I agree to up to a point I think it's more nuanced I think I think it's a handy tool to dismiss anyone with criticism as a conspiracy theory nut job mm. but there are some right nutters <laughs> in <laughs> that group and so it, it's not helpful to lump in oh uh, the Twin Towers brought down by a series of government sanctioned explosions with people who are like my tax bill seems a bit off <laughs> like I think that's fair enough um So casting of They Live, John Carpenter is a huge wrestling fan. He
3: likes wrestling, weed and video games.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's all right. And it's been like
3: that for 20 years. Nearly 20 years ago, we wanted to interview him when I was at Hot Dog uh, magazine. And yeah, his 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 agent just told us he's getting stoned and playing video games and he's really got no interest in talking to anyone. (laughs) So we were like, we were disappointed, but it was like, yeah, that's quite cool. Very Fair hard. enough. He's done He's done his. He's done his work. Yeah. There's your headline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, John Carpenter said of Roddy Piper, he has life written all over him. He mm. has been hit so many times that he's really broken up. He even walks funny uh, because his pelvis was shattered and his back was wrenched. He's the toughest guy I've ever met. You could run a truck into Roddy and he would still be standing and
3: he's lived a life not too dissimilar to the the one that John Nader is living before he before he became a successful yeah, wrestler he's
2: moved around a lot
3: he he said he he was a he would when he was a kid he would um dumpster dive which mm. is what John Nader does at one point in this film literally he'd go looking for food in dumpsters.
1: Yeah.
2: I like the fact he talks about him he says that he liked Piper's unpolished simplicity and uh the lack of a larger than life movie star charisma. And I do think that really works in this film because it just accelerates this idea of him being this everyman and creates an even bigger gap between him and the aliens, and I don't think he's a bad actor. But isn't it mad that he picked the
3: most over-the-top loud wrestler to play mm. an earnest, quiet man? <laughs> yeah. He just he just complete counter-programming in, in, in that decision.
1: Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know who Roddy Piper is or was. I wasn't interested in. So I was Me- just really judging him as an actor, which may not be wise.
3: No. Um, he He kind of lost his job over this as well. Um, WWF when they found out he was going to go and make uh, this movie uh, the guy who was running uh, the wrestling at the time Vince McMahon Jr. told him to turn it down and said to him if you don't do this film within four weeks I'll get you another movie at the same price and Roddy said to him, yeah, but it won't be with John Carpenter directing. Mm-hmm. And so he left, did it, they kicked him out. And then he ended up, um, they ended up begging him to come back because he was such a big star off the back of this film. They wanted him back in wrestling. Mm-hmm. So this was the best thing that happened mm-hmm.
2: to him. Okay. Yeah. He talks about They Live uh, in his Infowars interview, does uh, Roddy Piper. And he uh, he says it's kind of the Cliff's Notes for what's going on. I'll leave it there. Please do. Okay.
1: Please stop watching infowars.
3: Yeah, this this is this podcast is turning into an advert for that, and I don't want it.
1: Back. Right. Like, that's, but that's my red line. Right, to fine. That's it.
2: I'm, I'm going to stop.
1: No, it's it's interesting, and it's important to present another side. Um, but it's just when you make grand, when you make broad statements like this is a this is just what's going on. It's hard to disagree with that. So I think that's how they get and he,
3: by. And before he passed away, he had been hit in the head a lot. Yeah.
1: Uh, so the role of Frank was written especially for Keith David and for the female lead of Holly. Uh, we've got Meg Foster, John Carpenter say, Meg is a terrific actress and she has grey eyes, which is true. Yeah. Um, but also I wanted Roddy to be surrounded by the best actors possible. That's good directing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that is everything I've got. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is I want to, hark back to our
3: podcast on the underrated Tim Burton movie Mars Attacks. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I don't even remember I was talking about the Alex Cox script for Mars Attacks yes. didn't happen so I, re- I read the script for that show it was, I read the 1989 version but I believe he was working on it as early as 1985 now if you remember this script it, it involved aliens invading and enslaving uh, the populace in shanty towns and Martians being added to TV shows and putting adverts everywhere encouraging us to consume Martian food drink and drugs and it turned out that Mars, Mars was being in danger of being buried under the weight of unsold consumer goods So they'd come here, wiped out the dinosaurs, started Project Earth so that we'd evolve into a planet that would consume. (laughs) And it was a film that was all about capitalism, imperialism and uh, criticism of American values, which makes me think John Carpenter might have read that (laughs) before putting pen
1: to paper here.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I really wish they'd made that Mars Attacks. (laughs)
1: Mm, Anything. (laughs) Uh, so shall we go through the film? Let's do it. All yeah. right. So we meet John Nader, a drifter. He's unemployed. He's riding the railways. He's looking for a job. At this point, little sidebar, uh, did anybody else... You used to play job centres when they were little, <laughs> with with the slips of paper. So I had a just a. a
3: this sounds like it's in very bad taste. Uh, a, it was a, it's a
1: buried <laughs> <that's> memory. <pretty laughs> Me and my sister, we used to spend a lot of time in the job centre with my mum, right. who was looking for work. And so when you play games, you know, like you play oh, just imaginary games like kids today. Let's play it being superheroes or whatever me and rachel would play job centers and we put the little Mm -hmm. bits of paper on the wall and i would sit behind the desk and have a bad attitude and rachel would get down the (laughs) bit of paper that said what she wanted to do for a living and i'd be like okay well you've got to go for this interview i guess (laughs) (laughs) but my mom and i'd never they didn't want to shame as i suppose i don't know they were not like we do not play job centers the job center wasn't a shameful it was like this is where we go to get jobs and money Right, so that's what we used to play. <laughs> I thought I'd share that. Yeah, and yeah see if that. I,
2: I had, had snares. So <laughs> I played football.
1: We should have been outside. You're right. It's weird looking back on it now. I just thought maybe we could have some common ground, get his mm-hmm. friendship back on track. Was it always you behind the desk? No, we swapped. Okay, and this will make you laugh because we were children. Obviously, it's like you could have any job you wanted. I can't believe could
2: do this. What sort of jobs?
1: I had to do.
3: what did you want to be could you get a job at the job centre (laughs) was that an option
1: I wanted to be a model (laughs) Uh -uh. (laughs) I was like six
0: it could
2: happen it could still happen oh Oh,
1: no oh Oh, that's really sad oh my heart is racing I can't believe I've just told you that but yeah I wanted to be a model (laughs) because I thought it looked easy and I thought you got loads of money And I think that's true. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think you do get quite a lot of money. You
2: do. And it is pretty easy. (laughs) I think you you can say it's easy. (laughs) Don't don't offend all the models who listen to our show.
1: That's 100% what i was trying to do. I don't want to be accused. No, not accused. Sorry, I don't want to not respect your feelings about how hard your job is. I'm sure it's a lot of standing around and you're isolated from your family. Fuck models. (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway, let's talk about this film. Yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, John gets a job on a building site, so this is where he meets Frank played by Keith David. Frank has got a family which is going to be important. It's going to put him in contrast to John and takes and Frank takes John to Justiceville, which is an informal settlement of people who are homeless. Uh, but it's this is this did irk me a bit. Um, it's calm and it's quite peaceful, and there's plenty of food and solidarity and good feeling among these people. So they live with Shot on location. Uh, in downtown LA not all of it but like lots of it and John Carpenter said he could sympathise with the hopeless plight this is writing in the 80s you wouldn't say that now of the homeless and he said quote after working in Hollywood for so many years I've realised that true success has nothing to do with how much money you make it has to do with the principles by which you live so in that respect I actually feel much safer among the street people in downtown LA than among the millionaires in Beverly Hills which is either quite patronising towards poor people or very damning of rich people. Well,
2: Roddy Piper says they actually, in that scene, used a lot of genuine homeless people.
3: Yeah, yeah
1: they did.
2: Mm. Yeah. They had to pay off the local gangs as yes. well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> To stop them wrecking their trailers. Yeah. Uh,
1: so this is where John first encounters the broadcasts of the hacker and the TV signals are being jammed with a broadcast that's trying to alert us to the fact that we are all slaves. Um so it sets up pretty early, maybe too early just to be as a first time viewer mm-hmm. that like the all the information is given to us pretty quickly. There is a transmitter transmitting a signal. This signal can and must be destroyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's fine. But that's there's the journey that our hero is going to go on. And you, you could make an argument for holding back some of that information, perhaps mm. to create a bit of suspense. Yeah. I
2: like the advert where the woman picks up a lump of cheese with a very long fingernail. That happens around now. <laughs> Did you see that? She's got fake nails on, and she just like there's a lump of cheese next to her, and she just jams the nail into the cheese and puts it in her mouth. Oh it's, yeah, it's possibly the most horrifying scene in it because if you know anything about hygiene, it's actually so it's a fact that it's more it's more hygienic to lick the bowl of a public toilet than it is to bite your fingernails. You just get funnier looks. But it is <laughs> genuinely very unhygienic. On,
3: on the on the Blu-ray that Studio Canal put out about five years ago, they've got all the adverts in full, and they're very funny. Actually, they're very clever uh, satires of those '80s adverts that we all know and remember and love. Just with the, like a punchline of each of them that the person you think's really good-looking or perfect is actually an alien.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean Am I some? I thought some of them were real.
3: Then then they've done their job. Yeah, yeah I yeah. just
1: saw so not in his mindset at all. Like I think he's quite innocent, John Carpenter, to make this film and be like, look <laughs> adverts. It's like yeah, yeah, I
3: know. <laughs> Um I like that in this scene when he's watching the telly for the first time. He's meeting the other sort of homeless people. Uh, we've got the actor George Buck Flower. Okay, are you aware of his work? Is he the priest? No, he's the homeless guy who ends up... Um, turn, he's the turncoat.
2: Oh, yeah, um, I want to
3: talk about that because I didn't quite get that, but we'll wait until he pops up again. Sure. Uh, he plays a drifter in this film, and I went through... He, he plays one of the most famous drifters in film history. We'll get to that in a bit. But I went through his uh, 162 IMDb credits okay. Most of the people he's played don't have names. This is what he's credited as. Uh, flasher, drunk, bum, tramp, vagrant, drifter, drunk, bum number one, bum, wino, wino, rich, tramp, hobo, homeless man, drunken man, homeless man, homeless man, bearded man, homeless man, why no? <laughs> so he had a thing. <laughs> um, but he is Stick the drunk to what you know. He's the drunk homeless guy in uh, Back to the Future that sees the DeLorean disappear and then come back. Oh really? Yeah, which is probably his most famous role, even though
2: he doesn't really speak. (laughs) Anyway, that's uh, George Buckflower. George
1: Buckflower, everybody. (laughs) Um,
2: There's a bit here around this point where, uh, because I love the script to this, I think there's some great lines in it, but there is a bit here which is not good, really not good. When Frank is talking to John, and John's sort of like sort of going, "We should like find out what's going on," you know, "I want to investigate the church," and Frank says to him. Uh, I'm I'm walking a white line, uh, to which John replies, "That's the worst place to walk because that's the middle of the." Uh, no, he goes, "White lines are in the middle of the road. That's the worst place to drive." Mm. I, I I did a bit of digging. I'm walking a white line isn't a phrase uh, at all. There's walking <laughs> a fine line. There's walking the line, but there isn't walking a, a white line. So uh, my problem is that if you are going to make up a new phrase because you've got your comeback already written, yeah. Then you have to have
1: the comeback make sense. Because oh, I, I thought it was, he's trying, he, he has to walk that delicate balance of trying to keep on the right side of white people. And mm. John just wasn't listening. <laughs> That's honestly what I thought. He's like, well, what can it. I do? I've got like a, you can know. I, can, I, can, like I, can I
3: actually paraphrase a film from 1984 now? Go on. Walk on the road, walk left side, you okay. Walk right side, you okay. Walk down Miller Road, get squished, just like grape. Same with karate. You just do karate, you're okay. You know do karate, you're okay. You may be karate, get squish, just like grape. <laughs> I think
2: that's what he means. I do too. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. But I'm 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 sort of pleased that I was here for that. Yeah, I'm glad that happened. That was amazing. Um, apologies uh, <laughs> to the late great Pat Marita. <laughs> I I guess my problem is he goes, uh, I'm walking a white line. And then John goes, that's the worst place to drive. And Frank should go, I'm said I'm walking though. So I'm actually walking, I'm not even driving. True. It it just doesn't make any sense. We're not
1: going to be friends.
2: But yeah, I'm so pleased I brought it up for For that. that.
1: Uh, More on the actual film (laughs) after a short
0: break. Ready to pop the question? And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: So, there is a resistance movement being organised from the church that borders Uh, the informal settlement. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) But before we can find out too much about that, the camp is raised. So there's a book called They Live uh, from 2010 by someone called Jonathan Latham. And he makes a very good point, which is by depicting the homeless of Justiceville as weary and long-suffering, you can only read the destruction of the camp as like totalitarian overkill. Um, And that's a really... I find that a very interesting point because... The homeless people in this informal settlement—you are meant to feel—they're—they're they're not feisty, they're not rude, they're not—they're they're, they're depicted as vulnerable, mm. weak, um, so that you feel bad that when the camp is raised, you don't think, well, they kind of—you know—they had it coming, or they were—they were up to no good. Mm. And the resistance movement is moved sort of off-site. Uh, there's no threat to the the aliens from the shelter itself. Which initially annoyed me because when John Carver says, about, hey, you can trust the homeless. It's like I find that attitude uh, irksome because I think it's this idea that there's valour amongst poor people and that to be poor, you don't get to be shitty and greedy and everything like everybody else does because there's honour in being poor. And whilst there may be, I think it's uh, very one sided. Yeah. like, oh, if you live on the streets, then you must have a cold or something.
2: Uh, yeah, I for me, just watching that scene where the police trashed the camp, it, it just felt uh, it, it was more uncomfortable now watching it than it was when I watched it as a kid, just because I think we've spent the year watching uh, the police on the news using excessive force yeah. and a militarized police on the streets dealing with riots. And it just felt like, wow, I, I felt like I'd seen this on the news.
1: Yeah. Um, So in the aftermath of that John steals the sunglasses The magic sunglasses And so then we get into our film Basically When you put them on The world is in black and white Billboards tell you to obey Marry and copulate Newspapers and magazines Tell you to submit And stay asleep Etc Mm-hmm
2: yeah. Uh, one quick thing. Uh, when he takes the sunglasses out of the box and he goes, I'm going to want that box later. Yeah. Uh, not a big thinker, isn't John? Because he goes, Ooh. I'm going to hide the box of sunglasses that I want for later in a full bin that is going to be picked up by a trash machine. I agree
1: with you. A trash Apart machine. A whatever tra- that is. <laughs> <laughs> a bin lorry. Trash machine. <laughs> <laughs> one of
2: those trash machines.
1: But also, when the trash machine <laughs> picks him up later, he's got the only bin lorry ever that's only got paper in it. There's no like old eggs or he's, he, Nappy. He's also
2: in a bin lolly A bin lolly <laughs> Trash machine and bin lolly uh, Where the driver for some reason Basically that whole sequence Where he gets tipped out of the machine Is John Carpenter going That'll look cool I've got a great shot for that Because there's no reason To fill your lorry And then tip it up You wait until you've got to the dump you do, Before normally, you tip yeah, it up I You don't that's tip it, it <laughs> it's, just was, it's just like Yeah it looks kind of cool Him sliding out John But you didn't need it It doesn't make any sense yeah. I, I was saying to Alex beforehand I kind
3: of would love to see this film For the first time again for this scene so what was it like the first time you see the world
1: stylistically I, I thought it was amazing yeah it looks like, cool like, yeah, doesn't it it's so good that it's black and white mm. I don't know I understand that it's actually more of a device just to help you move between the worlds but the fact that it is black and white initially I was like I wish the whole film was black and white because it looks so cool mm. Um, and it is funny as well like the, the advert for Come to the Caribbean mm. and it's just actually Marianne copulate I think that's very funny
2: yeah the best one is the cash in his hand which mm. just says this is your god yeah that's- Great, it's great that it's black and white, but also I was thinking this time
3: watching it, it's, it's almost sad we don't get the color version because when you see the behind the scenes pictures and what they use on the poster, they look amazing. That this red, blue, and silver that the
2: aliens are, are colored yeah. with, yeah, they look so cool. Yeah, you see it at the end, but yeah, it would be great to see throughout. But I think John Carpenter it was intentional, he was sort of suggesting that the aliens colorized. Earth? like yeah. they brought the, I didn't quite understand that but it is a quote that he said Yeah so. I,
1: I read that and then but then you feel that's a good thing so yeah. I don't get it
2: Yeah and that's our friend uh, Jeff Imada
3: from the Mortal Kombat episode movie he plays pretty much every alien in this film uh, when there's just one alien in shot he plays men women the president uh, and he's really uh short uh, Jeff Imad. He's only five foot six. So watching behind the scenes footage, it's quite funny. Like when he plays one of the cops coming up in a minute, he's standing on a box <laughs> to stand next to Roddy Piper. who's like six foot four. So, <laughs> yeah, we've got one man as all of those aliens.
1: So, yeah. And the aliens, like you said, they've got this like ghoulish look about them and metallic skin. Uh, and they—they they, I thought they were good because they don't look too familiar, but they do look sort of... Like, you could get used to them. Do you know what I mean? Like, not too scary, mm. but um, but obviously alien in that mm. sense. Well, the
2: woman who's boinking one at the end does not hop off that quickly. So
1: she's clearly <laughs> she's clearly used to it. Uh, I'm
2: guessing the guy you can speak to this, Vicky, was he all in?
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. No, don't. <laughs> <sighs> yeah that's you are sort of lodged in place oh, yeah because uh, do you always not have spines on the end <laughs> that affix
2: you like a cat
1: so like a cat <laughs> to the inside if she'd moved she would have ripped it all out oh, oh. Mark
2: Addy's got a lot to us
1: <laughs>
2: yeah it's great though at this point where he just literally starts kicking ass he doesn't, no, he doesn't it's, mess it's good
1: and it's not because no it's good he just blows his cover so quickly mm. like he can see them the aliens. And then he's like, hey, guys, I don't give a shit if you know that I can see you. So he, they're like, we've got a live he, one. He he becomes a blunt instrument now mm-hmm. with shades of his
3: wrestling persona. This, this is why suddenly you see, oh, this is why you've cast the wrestler, mm-hmm. because yeah. he's a monster now.
1: But let's talk about the f- very quickly. Um, he is a lone wolf on a mission to destroy the conspiracy, which feeds into a lot of QAnon bullshit mm-hmm. that there's one man that can bring it down. But, but also, also
3: a lot of um, John Carpenter films do that, though. Ordinary man in an extraordinary circumstances and the unlikely hero who's got to rise to the occasion. And
1: you know who else is that? Ronald fucking Reagan. Because Ronald Reagan, the trick to him is that a lack of experience can be a strength same with Donald Trump like mm. I'm not a career politician I'm just one of you guys mm. so John Narda is also the same he's just like this lone wolf with no experience in bringing down an alien master race mm. <laughs> but he's the guy for the job so his the depiction of John Carbin's depiction of a hero is not in my opinion not that far from the man that kicked it all off for him in the first place Ronald Reagan uh,
3: and I uh, what well, I would say I'm a, I'd agree with you there because also I, I worry as this film goes on that the solution is quite a right-wing solution is it's simply guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like John Carpenter is better than that but there's nothing else aside from shooting people and shooting things
2: in this film uh, yeah. to solve the problem.
1: Yeah, by yourself. Yeah, but that yeah.
2: said, I would never have watched this movie if like the message hadn't been disguised as a film about guns and aliens <laughs> and that's why I ended up watching They Live. If it was just a comment on Reaganism and capitalism I'd have gone oh, no.
1: Yeah but there is a wider point to be made about films that that parrot this idea that one person can make a difference when actually real change is achieved collectively boring but true <laughs> like you are not going to be given this one moment in your life where it all hangs on what you do next that is not the way it works yeah
2: that makes good cinema though.
1: <laughs> yeah, know. It is boring to be like, guys, we need another steering crew meeting about the revolution. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't written Lord, scene meeting for a <laughs> lot of films. A lot of films
2: revolve around a hero I up know. against the odds. <laughs> I know.
1: So then John randomly kidnaps Meg Foster and is a right dick to her. Um, <laughs> I think she's brilliant in this. And the, the scene where he's kidnapped her and they've gone back to her house, this scene, and full plaudits to to uh, John Carpenter for writing this because there's an interesting dynamic where he, John, wants uh, Holly to put the glasses on mm. to see what's going on. But because he's forcing her to do it, the point is that your enlightenment must be consensual. Otherwise, it's just the same as what the aliens are doing.
2: Well, also, it's a great line that stops her just putting the glasses on because you know this situation would be solved at least at this point when you think she's a good guy yeah um if she just put the glasses on and you're like well why doesn't she just put the glasses on and she says the line you basically she implies that you've got a gun so if i don't see what you want me to see I will still see it anyway. So there's no way Mm. of proving that point through the glasses, which is really clever. Yeah, it is. What's great about her in this film as well
3: is that you can't read her at any point. Because of her eyes. It's never quite clear what... I think she nicked Rebecca de Mornay's eyes from last week. But it's never quite clear where she's coming from at
2: any point in this film until the end. Mm. She's certainly not as uh, black and white as Evelyn uh, in... Or Evelyn, rather, from Masters of the Universe, (laughs) which is what I remember her from. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Also, Um. you... You do have to love a girl who says to her kidnapper, "I'm thirsty," and then comes back with a crisp white wine. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, Holly, I'm fucking thirsty. But then, yeah. but then she smashes it. She <laughs> smashes it and then she pushes him out of a fucking window. How that's much awesome.
2: Upper body strength does she have? Because yeah. she just throws him through that window. I mean, either that or that glass. Is dangerous. I mean, how many party guests have you lost from them just sort of leaning (laughs) on the window casually? Hey, thanks for
3: having me. (laughs) I think I think he was being kind, but he said on the commentary that she hit harder than Andre the Giant.
1: Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, So that puts um, John back on the run, and here we get to. Um, he's got the rest of the glasses from the the trash machine Um, unnecessary unnecessary. and he has a huge fight with Frank who as I've mentioned is the only person that's been nice to him Uh, starts the fight by giving him a paycheck which I'm not being a horrible capitalist he didn't really go to work (laughs) so he has done you a massive fucking favour and then proceeds the time to be confirmed I believe it's seven and a half minutes because John Carpenter told me that Uh you think it's five you think it's six
3: Uh, I I timed it at five minutes 30 seconds it starts at 56 minutes 10 and ends at one hour one minute and 40 seconds
1: I will say I did not enjoy it (laughs) but I understand its place it's there instead of them having sex is what I would say. Because it forces I, I, an intimacy because the, the the scene after it is the classic we've had sex so let's share some secrets but they're not going to go down that road so they have a massive fist fight. I
3: mean, it's interesting. He left five pages clear in the
1: script. Just blank? Blank. <laughs> <laughs> what? With an arrow saying skip to page something. Are you joking? I'm not joking. He left five pages
3: clear in the script and said to his producers we're going to have a five page fight here he dedicated five days uh, to shoot it before he had anything written and then they spent two weeks because he said that's why he hired Rowdy Roddy Piper he spent two weeks with uh, Roddy Piper and Keith David um, choreographing it making sure it had a story uh, the fight their inspiration was John Wayne's The Quiet Man have you Mm -hmm. seen The Quiet Man? no no uh, There's a great scene where he fights another guy all over town. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, and then what he wanted it to be was like a real fight, not a flashy fight. Like, you know, was the thing that Arnie, Sigal, Jean-Claude Van Damme were doing mm-hmm. um, and at the end of the 80s. So, uh, and he wanted it, he said he wanted it to mean something to between, be between two friends. I think what you mean in
2: you putting it in place of um, sex, But it's good. I mean, there are two ways of looking at it. First of all, I think the story is good because it goes from just a bit of a fight to a period where it does feel like at least Keith David, Frank, feels like he's in a fight for his life. It sort of escalates to a point where the look on his face is like, "I have to, I have to survive this now." And then it goes into the funny zone where Roddy Piper puts the plank of wood through the car window and goes, "It's literally like, oh geez, I'm sorry, <laughs> this has <is> escalated fast." <laughs> um, and then it sort of carries on. It reminds me of one of your jokes that
3: goes on too long. You know, when you keep pushing, yeah, it, yeah, 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 and sometimes they come back round to be funny, mm. and
2: sometimes but more times they don't. But well, eventually they do. Just given enough time, I mean, I'd have I'd have put twelve minutes of fight in. <laughs> eventually it comes back round. I agree with Vicky though. The problem with this fight is ultimately there's no jeopardy because you know that he's not going to kill him. You know, no one's going to die. And so, uh, what are we watching it for? For the appreciation of the fight? Yeah. As a kid, I was like, this is brutal. It's. I got bored as a kid and I got bored again now. Mm-hmm.
3: I think what's interesting about it is, I don't know, if you put yourself in Frank's position, Frank doesn't want to know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to put those sunglasses on because he doesn't want to get involved. He wants to continue with his life, looking after his family, ignorant of what's happening around him. And it's that question that comes back in the Matrix,
2: doesn't it? Would you want to be unplugged? Right, but once he is, he's like, fucking hell, let's go to work. <laughs> he doesn't sort of go, I'm really furious now because you've sure. made me wear these glasses. He's sort of, once he's seen it, he's like, thank you. I'm I'm now awake. Personally, to put myself in Frank's position, I'd have just put the fucking glasses on first thing. Like, he, if he'd gone, I'm going to fight you if you don't put these glasses I've got the glasses on.
1: Yeah, it's I'm, the same the scene as with Holly. If you're going to fight me with your bare hands and kill me, it's the same as a gun, no? so what's <laughs> If someone
3: difference? came out to you and said, put these glasses on, would you do it? Yeah. Why? Like glasses. I look good in glasses. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you should be a model. <laughs> um, uh, i heard it's it pretty easy. a lot of work.
1: <laughs> it is
2: a lot of work. Um, so, a, a c- s- c- Slovenian philosopher, uh, I hope I'm going to do his name justice, uh, Slavoj Zizek talks about uh, this endless fight scene. And he says it is a metaphor for the struggle to achieve enlightenment. Okay. It's that you must force yourself to do it and that freedom hurts.
3: I also think there's a patronising aspect to it. I think earlier in the film, um, the white man is telling the, the black man to be patient, uh, which is really not his place to tell him that when they're talking about work. And then here it's like the white man telling the black man who is oppressing him. Yeah, and And I think there's an element of that to this fight as well, which is why Frank is fighting back and not letting this bloke condescend and patronise him and, and control
1: him. Mm. It is what it is. Then so after um they get a room together <laughs> and open up um because of their intimacy. I'm not daddy's little boy anymore. Yeah, and I just was like, what's happening here? <laughs> a bit of backstory about his dad. And so John Carpenter says about John, he believes his wife was killed by unintentional acceleration, which is something that happens with cars. Um because he doesn't say what happened to his wife. Uh, just that she's no longer around but he does say a lot about his dad and I didn't understand what was going on at all we find out at this point that some of the humans have joined in with the aliens for money so it's not quite the one-sided invasion that you might want to think it is um, apparently the line... It comes up later, but the line, we all sell out every day, is something that a real Universal executive mm-hmm. said because he didn't see the threat in people selling out because he's just that's so normal to him.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, Universal wanted the aliens to be like, uh, be cannibals, like in the story. Right. Because they didn't think this was frightening. And, and as Carpenter said, as if taking your humanity wasn't threatening <laughs> enough.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to join the resistance. Here is Holly again she apologises to her kidnapper for nearly killing him because patriarchy I fucking hated it I'm so sorry about what I did to you he kidnapped you so you can do what you like to him
3: but he was right the man was right
1: the man was right but we don't know that anyway Anyway, so at this point we're with the resistance and they're kind of tooling up but they don't have enough and they're aware that they aren't fully equipped to like take on these aliens things take a massive left turn the explosion in the building where they are I thought it was brilliant out of nowhere the thing below. Up and it's like well, okay, it's on. We've got to go and get these aliens. But then I was like, "There's a portal that's been opened up by a wristwatch, mm. and we're in an underground cavern, and then we're at a gala."
2: See, that's my favorite bit. I really mm. love this. Okay, you know my favorite part of the movie Us, uh, which I didn't really like. Granted, is the line at the start where it says there are something about there are thousands of miles of tunnels beneath the continental United States many have no known purpose at all this idea of an entire subterranean world
1: oh you do know that that's a a QAnon trope don't you and it's not true and you know that they (laughs) say that there's,
2: there's, there's one at Disney
1: yeah, sure. Um, but paedophiles don't use it to traffic kids. They just yeah. don't. You can't put words in my mouth. You, were, you didn't say paedophiles use
3: them. He didn't say that.
1: Not saying there's loads of
2: paedophiles running along. around under
1: cities pulling kids down into the sewers. <laughs> That's Pennywise. Jeez. I just, it's just, we don't talk enough about normal stuff and then you say something like this, I'm like, how far down this madness rabbit hole have you gone? <laughs> Bit too
3: far <laughs> <laughs> let me pull it back um, you see a couple of security guards in this scene downstairs in the tunnel yeah. uh, they're holding uh, the PKE monitor oh no, no no
2: no they did you not let her <laughs> guess I wanted to know if she'd spotted it uh, granted she I
1: hadn't did. I think her reaction <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my god that's amazing it's so cool it's the one Egon but, has are they really yeah. the real ones yeah. it's the same why? prop why mm. Oh, I love it.
3: Props do get used over and over again in films. I love that. Mm.
1: Oh, that's made me feel really cheered. (laughs) Uh, So where are you? Oh, did you
2: spot Al uh, Al Leong as well? I didn't spot him. I spotted him in the credits, but I didn't spot him in the film. Yeah, Yeah. he's running down a corridor away from an explosion. You barely see him, but he's there. Classic him. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: So I think, isn't this the man you wanted to talk about? He's he's called Gilbert, the turncoat. Yeah,
2: played by Buckflower. So my question is this. So... When we meet him at the start of the the camp and he's watching TV on the sofa, is he at that point um, a spy for the aliens pretending to be homeless who then uh, sells out the church or at least tells them where the church is? And that's why the police raid happens. Or is he a homeless person who wants to be elevated to the upper class and so sells out? His fellow man hmm. to, to do something, get in with the aliens. Like, what is he? I mean, I, I thought the second thing you said, but the first thing's quite a good theory.
1: I thought he was a double agent, right. he was working both sides Fair and he always had
2: been. That's better.
1: Yeah. Makes more sense.
2: It makes more sense because even if you were a homeless guy who sold out like your friends, I don't think you'd be elevated quite so
1: no, exactly. far. No,
3: and what's yeah. the tree? Yeah. yeah. And what's he, what they got to gain from getting him on board yeah. unless they want as many people as possible but yeah no, i'm, I'm i think that's right. a good theory the the spy so
2: he's a spy good
1: that was yeah. my question uh john and frank eventually get to the dish turns out holly's also working the other side <gasps> yeah frank's okay.
2: death man that's so I, uh, awful like the fact it doesn't even happen on screen you mm. just see a put a, a gun to the side of his head and <laughs> yep. john runs off and then you hear a bang it's dark wrong it is dark.
1: Uh, so John shoots her, shoots the dish.
3: He's, so when he was... So, he, I mean, Roddy Piper's very honest about his acting in this film. Well, he knows he's not an actor. He said he didn't know what he was doing. He was constantly asking them, John Carpenter and Meg Foster and everyone, Keith David, how what he should be doing. And he said that this scene, um, he was thinking of a woman called Lorraine who dumped him and broke his heart. Oh. Uh, and he gets quite emotional, in the commentary talking about this. But he said he wanted to show hurt rather than anger when he... Um, shoots her when he realises that she's betrayed him and the entire human race.
1: That's better. Betrayed him. It's not about you. Anyway. Um. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> the thing is, though, when he has the scene with the I'm not daddy's little boy and something about a razor blade, he does all right in that. He, like.
3: Yeah, he's not happy with that either. You could he's beating himself up big time on the commentary with that, just saying, I just I didn't know what I was doing. I'm so sorry. You should have should have made me do it again.
1: I think it's okay. I honestly
3: don't mind him at all in this. I think he's good. I think he, he's good. He reminds me of Dave Batista when I was on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy, who that was his first huge acting job, and he in between takes would come over and talk to us, and he was. Be- himself up as well he really thought he was ruining the film no, and then you'd watch the takes and he was fantastic Yeah, um, but he is gutted in this scene uh, where it, before everything explodes he, he holds up his middle finger and he, it's sort of quite crooked and bent it's not like a straight middle yeah. finger. And, and on the commentary he said this to John Carpenter, this I wish I'd done better. It should have been straight and strong. My last defiance. And bless him, Carpenter trying to talk him down and says, you've just been shot. You might not have the energy to hold it straight. It's just a weird interaction. It
1: happens all the time. So it's not as rare as you'd think, actually. And it doesn't mean anything. And I'm not hurt. And we can try again later. I, I'm sure he's what he said. Uh, boob shot at the end.
2: Yeah, that's good though, where it's the alien film critic going off on TV going, George Romero and John Carpenter need to show some self-control over sex and violence in their film. Smash cut boobs. Boobs, yeah. why not? <laughs> I suppose
1: if you want to be, or you can say it's homage to the comic because that's mostly boobs, mm-hmm. so end on some tips. Yeah. But it's
3: very Carpenter as well. Nothing's wrapped up. Um, He doesn't really like wrapping things up and and tying them with a nice little bow Um, and and he always says it's because life isn't clean and simple Um, and so nor should endings be.
1: So wise. (laughs) (laughs) I just struggle with that sort of come and listen to what I've got to say because I think John Carpenter is a great dude and all of that but I think the innocence is frustrating. Do you a think bit. he's
3: the preacher early on in the film on the street corner who's ranting and raving, but no one's listening to him? But Do you think that's is, how he sees himself? I
1: don't feel like... It, maybe how he sees himself, it's not that we're not listening, it's that we get it, but our head is in a different space. <laughs> yeah. And we... Because he feels betrayed... What did he say? Yeah, he said all of my values have been betrayed, whereas my values haven't been betrayed because I was born into those values. I can see that they're not ideal for the future of the human race. He said something about, and he's completely right, that nothing is built to last and it sounds like an old man complain, but we are hurtling towards an absolute disaster because the companies that make the stuff that we're encouraged to buy those things don't last they don't want them to last they don't want you to love these things they want you to like these things so that when they break you replace them you he, don't replace the things you love
3: who, here's a, a more recent quote from him I believe that the 80s have never ended They're still with us today we've never repudiated uh, this Reaganomics idea Everything is trickled down but they're still among us yeah. and they're still uh, making more money than ever
1: and also he feels betrayed because he saw a time when an, an alternative was it might have felt within grasp and, I, and it does feel within my grasp I would say that like I think we live in, there's optimism and there's hope to be had. But it's just ugh, like, the it, it sort of absolves us as responsibility. If John Carpenter's message is, it's aliens making us do this? Like there's something within us that doesn't mind in a first world, oh, I hate that phrase, but north, a global northern system. We don't mind living like this. Otherwise, I don't think we would do it. So what does it say about us without aliens controlling us, that we allow these things to happen and don't give a shit basically like i don't think we're being mind controlled i do though i think i know uh, you do because it absolves you of responsibility it
2: doesn't it's not that it absolves me of responsibility it's that like i said at the start i just i, I think you are preoccupied with the the day to day grind, grind yeah. that you aren't able to do what you're saying and go, actually, this needs to stop. I want to get off this merry-go-round because this is not good. It's not good for me. I'm not enjoying this. Yeah, uh, I think because- the
1: co-opting of consumerism as the only power you've got is very dangerous as well. So like boycotts, I understand why people are so frustrated. I'm going to boycott this brand. I'm going to do whatever. But it doesn't take a view of the whole system, which is if you boycott a certain brand, the person that makes the stuff for that brand is going to be, in theory, out of a job. And the, the company that makes that stuff, they don't give a shit. Like They'll just do, do something else, make their money somewhere else. Like The whole thing needs a, a long, hard look at it. Mm. But that we are distracted from doing that. Yeah. Apart from these pockets of resistance, which are worth celebrating. Yeah.
2: And which hopefully will grow over time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. That's all I have. Shall we do the bits then?
3: Yeah, I, I did one other thing. Keith yep. David um, said that the film opened at number one in America and then promptly disappeared. He said no one could find it. No one. And their local cinema. <laughs> I found it. And he reckons it must have pissed someone off that week. Okay. And r- there was a movement at the time as well, claiming uh, because Rowdy Roddy Piper was not always in the best shape as a wrestler. He, you know, he liked to have a good time. Outside the ring. uh, There was claims that they superimposed Roddy's head on someone else's body for this film, (laughs) uh, which got to him. People kept coming to him saying, that's not your body, is it, in the film, which really upset him. So there's a conspiracy theory about the conspiracy theory movie.
1: I think that's how it works. And you just keep going and going and then you never leave the house. Yep. Right, who's going to take us through the bits? Oh, uh, I should. Um, Alex, what was your best scene? Uh,
2: putting the glasses on for the first time and seeing the world as it really is. Transformative moment for me when I saw it as a kid, uh, although I probably didn't realise it then. Uh, I think it's something you want everyone to do. I think this movie should be put on the school curriculum so that kids know to question everything. Put the glasses on.
3: <laughs> what about you? Same. Uh, it's the most important scene in the film as it really has to sell that high concept, mm-hmm. and I think they nail it. It looks great. It goes on for just the right amount of time, mm-hmm. as some other scenes might not. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it is truly terrifying and upsetting, but also funny. So.
1: Yeah, and I agree. So that is three for three. Um, your most valuable whatever, Chris?
3: I'm going to pick John Carpenter. Uh, now, this is an adaptation, and having read the story... He's taken a lot from that story. But narratively, visually, the attitude of this film, the politics, this is all uh, John Carpenter, and I love it.
2: Yep, I got John Carpenter too. Yeah, I got John Carpenter too. Uh, Just uh, sneaking uh, such an important social commentary into a retro sci-fi action movie. Love it. I would have not watched this movie, as I said, age 10, if it had just been about... Capitalism and Reaganism and consumerism. Uh, so disguising it with aliens and guns got me into it.
1: Uh, mine is makeup artist Frank Carisosa, uh for the aliens because I like the way they look, and I was very surprised nasty, by how nasty aren't they? Yeah, but also not that bad. Like, really? like no, like you could become friends with them. Do you know what I mean? Like you could get used to them. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, like they, you wouldn't always like the alien. In Alien, <laughs> is terrifying. What right. well, aliens? Yeah and you can't be friends with that alien no. but this one you think we could come around. work together yeah of course make a, make a bit of money yeah I'll get used to you I can get used yeah. to you I can get used to so much yeah. uh, one change Alex uh,
2: I know we often talk about how films are too long I think they live as too short mm. I actually think uh, annoyingly it scratches the surface of uh, uh, so many ideas uh, without delving into them. And I think stick 20 minutes more on this and let's find out uh, a little bit more about these aliens and the power and the system and this other world that they've come from, and what their plan is and their goal is. Little tidbits that you hear like they're changing the atmosphere of the planet. It's like, well, is that their end goal to wipe us out once they've used us up? I mean, what is the bigger story about these aliens? I, I wish there was more to it. I feel like it occasionally is too superficial for its own good.
3: Uh, I mentioned earlier I kind of wish Frank had got a more noble death but that's not my change because I don't think I think that was very intentional by John Carpenter Um, but I I said this earlier as well I wish guns weren't the solution Um, the NRA must love this ending Uh, and I agree with you Alex you know I watched this film because it was an action movie Mm. but I think you can have an action movie but also have a more cerebral conclusion that satisfies the narrative that's something that you've set up that you can pay off at the end rather than a guy with a shotgun.
1: Mm, I agree. Um it's not my change, but I do very much agree with that. It's this is really simple. The humans that are cooperating, they're not they're not part of the gang. They're being used. They're not going to be rewarded for their cooperation. They realize this and then they're thrown back into our society and we have to decide what we do with them.
3: Mm. Like it. That's it. Very good
2: right well that is they live done and dusted Um, before we talk about what we're doing uh, next week uh, on the show um, Chris do you have a quiz well it's good job that you've been talking about QAnon and Infowars yeah
3: Uh, Because I have a conspiracy quiz. Lovely. Uh, Now, this is one I'm going to give credit to, uh, How Stuff Works, because I kind of nicked some of it from them. Um, I rewrote some of the answers and things, but... uh, That doesn't make any sense, then. That would have changed the answers. Uh, You're getting multiple choice answers. Okay, and some of the multiple choice answers weren't particularly good, so I've just... So, you thank you, It's like in a Yeah, well, I didn't want to go that far. Alex pushed me to it. I really didn't. Okay. Uh, here we go. Uh, question one. Um, those streams of vapour behind airplanes oh chemtrails <laughs> no I think you told you talked to us about this didn't he you he
1: fucking told me about chemtrails and he said it like I thought he was being funny he's like you should check it out but like he's, he's like it's nuts mm. and then I checked it and then I'm sure I met you he was like this is batshit and you were like but is it though and mm. I was like we <laughs> can't be friends
2: there's some truth in chemtrails
3: there's nuts <laughs> uh, well you got it right obviously both of you uh, some people think that the streams behind airplanes are chemicals being used to control the weather it's but it's fucking
1: water There's
3: zero proof or even evidence that chemtrails are anything other than ordinary contrails, water vapor that freezes once it hits the cold air.
2: Absolutely yes. So because there's no evidence, let's just uh,
3: assume that it's fucking kidding
1: me. I am moving. From you. Oh, are you joking?
2: Uh, I'm just saying as uh, Yeah,
3: if
1: there's no evidence, then there's no evidence. You uh, absence uh, of evidence. That was
3: only question one. <laughs> question two.
1: Evidence wait. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. That's the law, right? That's a fact. Mm. This chill. is the pub Oh Put chill.
2: Put the glasses on, Victoria. <laughs> Wake up. Why do
1: Wake you... up! <laughs> Be careful.
3: Why do some observers believe that the Twin Towers were rigged with
2: explosives because because and they're mad. were blown they're up nuts. as part of a massive because conspiracy? Because of the way Was they it exploded on different floors, explosives floor by floor. It shouldn't have exploded like Number that. one, is it one?
3: Top-level Bush administrators exchanged emails about the buildings being rigged for demolition three weeks before the attacks. Is it number two? The buildings just mysteriously fell at once at a high-speed freefall, or is it number three? The controlled demolition explosions are easy to identify in high speed
2: video <laughs> replay well it's three and two a bit but three mainly
1: it's a hard question to answer because that's not what happened uh, but people believe it because you can see it at high speed or they think they can see something like that
3: correct so that's one to Vicky what? No. you went with three yeah you went with three three was the right answer no it was two the buildings just mysteriously fell at once in a high speed free fork uh, The idea that the tower's just collapsed all at once in a free fall is something that might point to carefully planned explosives, but it only takes one careful viewing from a still camera to see that the reality uh, was the tower's sadly collapse over time between 15 and 22 seconds. Some people believe that the area beneath the Denver International Airport is home to what exactly? Is it A, a nuclear bomb factory? Is it B, the headquarters of the New World Order? (laughs) Or is it C, a massive neo-Nazi group plotting to take over Colorado? The headquarters of the
2: New World Order.
1: I mean, he knows. So, uh, no, it's a massive neo-Nazi group taking over Colorado.
2: Alex is correct there.
1: I mean, what? Yeah, he already knows all this stuff. Um, There are murals of... What is the New World Order, Alex? Don't answer that question. It's whatever you want it to be.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gangster rap was devised by corporate executives for what reason, according to some folks? uh, To help keep prisons full, to increase sales of bulletproof vests, or to boost the profit margins of drug cartels.
1: Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I actually don't know that one. Um, what was the second one? What was
3: the conspiracy? Uh, to increase sales of bulletproof vests. Yeah, that. Alex? Yeah, that. Wrong. Uh, the conspiracy was to keep prisons full in Whoa. 2012 an anonymous internet post dropped a bomb on hip hop revealing that an early 90s meeting between corporate bigwigs where rap album marketeers would agree to push hardcore gangster rap proliferating a lifestyle that was sure to keep private prison business booming okay uh, why do some people believe that the nasa moon landings were faked because well, they're bored they're be- there's so many reasons because uh, the f- I think you're going to know that one yeah no let's, well, let's do it anyway but uh, the top a- NASA administrator in charge of the Apollo 11 mission admitted the whole thing was faked <laughs> on a Hollywood movie set the president made a verbal slip on live television indicating the landings were staged or the American flag in the video is flapping in what is supposedly Free. an airless yeah, yeah you they know they think it's that the wrong one.
1: direction but that's not true moon landings were faked okay
2: (laughs) there's a belt of radiation around planet earth that we can't pass through as humans
3: without dying
1: i'm actually worried about you the
3: astronauts had trouble extending the flag rod completely and in still pictures this created a ripple effect making it look as if the flag was waving in video images it becomes clear that the flag only moved when they were trying to plant it in the moon's surface um, there's a rumour that all humans are essentially enslaved by reptilian overlords. Where did this originate? From a book by L. Ron Hubbard, from a deleted scene from the original Matrix, or with a retired English footballer? A retired English footballer.
1: David Icke?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's old though. It goes, it goes way beyond him, that wanker.
3: <laughs> um, of British, uh, David Icke, his favourite film is They Live.
1: Is it? Oh yeah. God! It's Alex
2: Jones's favorite <laughs> film as well. He says it breaks open everything.
3: <laughs> During the 2016 presidential your election face. cycle. <laughs> your face. During the 2016 20 uh, presidential election, what sparked a belief that a potential human trafficking ring operated out of a Washington DC pizza restaurant? Uh,
1: what sparked? Was spot?
0: it
3: <laughs> was it leaked messages from presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's email accounts? Was it from Rush Limbaugh's uh, radio show or was it a white supremacist tweet?
1: No, people think it's Hillary Clinton uh for Pizzagate, but it isn't. This is not real. Yeah, I'll go
3: with Hillary. Uh, it started with a white supremacist tweet. Oh, uh, a, a Twitter account spouted blatantly false information about a human trafficking ring. Uh, about a month later, a deranged man showed up there with a gun to investigate the problem, blasting holes into the restaurant's interior authorities quickly I mean, it, it is funny that
2: like <laughs> it weird. doesn't have a basement that's the that's the payoff to that <laughs> the fact that he were, they were like in the basement of this pizza restaurant and he turned up and he was like I want to see the basement see your basement they were like the fucking isn't I
1: fucking one haven't it's, even got one it's
2: just ground <laughs> it's just ground
1: there
0: tunnels
3: <laughs> uh, last one what was the proof uh, that Nirvana's lead singer Kurt Cobain died a result of murder not suicide uh, was it the handwriting at the end of his suicide note was different uh, Uh, to the penmanship at the start. Uh, On a later album, his wife, Courtney Love, alluded to murdering her husband in rather vague song lyrics, or was it a now-missing audio tape that caught the murderer in the act?
1: B. Uh A, the handwriting. Vicky
3: has won. It's A. Oh, but he was just high on heroin, and the more high he got, the worse his handwriting became.
1: That makes sense. Right, correct. Congratulations, Vicky. Oh, it uh, feels dirty. Oh, no, I feel really soiled. So
2: you actually?
3: I, this is the trouble. <laughs> no, this is why we fall out. More
1: because. about
2: conspiracies than <laughs> <laughs> me.
1: I am <laughs> obsessed. I'm, not, I'm obsessed <laughs> with conspiracy theorists.
2: <laughs> she doth protest too much. I, I do
1: worry about myself. Yeah, if I ever get like in my darker moments, I'm like. the light has gone on. (laughs) All right, then. Uh, That is They Live Done. Uh, Thank you for listening.
2: We are looking ahead to next week. Obviously, we're doing Society on Thursday. Let's look forward to that. But, Chris, it's your choices for next week's show. What are we doing? What is the clue?
3: We've talked about QAnon here a lot. (laughs) I want to talk about the status quo, and I want to paraphrase status quo. So my clue is rocking all over the universe.
2: Rocking all over the universe is your first clue for next week's shows. There'll be another one put on Twitter very shortly. Uh, Do follow us on Twitter at ClashPod. Do follow us on Instagram at ClashPod. And if you haven't uh, rated and reviewed us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, if you are able to, uh, please do. uh, Please subscribe, Apple, Spotify, or other. It's hugely appreciated. Back on Thursday for some fleshy action. Bye.